0: Uh, it was a a fun a fun fun week um, all always round. And one of my my favorite parts about the week was was the anticipation that kind of built throughout the day. The, the anticipa- anticipation that that started in the morning when when kids would arrive, we would all uh, gather. There was a check in table out here in the courtyard, and and uh, we would all gather. Leaders would be inside the fellowship center kids would be checked in by their parents. They'd all be wearing their different colored T-shirts, some of them you saw wearing this morning, uh, and, and they'd just kind of talk, and then you could hear them talking about, "Oh, what are we going to do today? What's, what's, what's today going to be like? And then we, we'd get into some music, we'd sing the song that we just sang, we'd sing some, some other songs, Lean on Me, that we sang last week, uh, and, and then they would go off to their various different areas, music, crafts, Bible teaching, uh, what else did you say, Ed? Uh, team building. Team building. Um, games. lot games. Wet. Games. And and cra- <laughs> and of course snack, because everybody loves snacks. Oh yes. Um, and so they'd go off to all those different areas and, and each time they'd say, Okay, what's next? What's what is gonna be happening? I learned early on in children and youth ministries that there are, are three very powerful words that you can share with with kids, whether they're high school students or whether preschool students. When they say, what's next? What's next? What's next? You keep them engaged by saying, you'll find out. You'll find out. Hey, what's next? You'll find out. Do you know where we're going? You'll find out. You know what we're eating? You'll find out. You know who's coming? You'll find out. Tomorrow, my my kids, or my family, I will say, my kids aren't going to get in the car without their mom and dad. Our family's going to be heading to to Orange County uh, for Fourth of July, uh, the same family that we've been celebrating Fourth of July with for for the better part of a a decade, and we'll get in the car, and I guarantee within 20 minutes. Are we there yet? No. When are we going to get there? You'll find out. You'll find out. out. The mystery of what's coming has a way of, of kind of pulling us in. of of keeping us engaged, of of keeping us looking forward to whatever it is that is next. It's not only true for kids, it's also true for adults. It's the the adventure part of of our journey. We, We can't always know what's next, and yet, as our scripture reminds us today, it's in the unknown that we often experience God's mercy. It's in the unknown that we often experience God's morning, this mercy. So this morning, we're wrapping up this really difficult part of, of Romans that we've been in for the better part of the last month or so. And remember, this is the place where Paul kind of wrestles with, with the sovereignty of God, of what that means for the Israelite people, his family, his friends, and what that means for the, the Gentiles in, in Rome. What, what does it mean for everyone? So at the beginning of chapter 9, he writes about his deep desire for his family and friends to know Jesus, and he says, you know what, I'll give it all up, I'll give up everything I've gained by knowing Christ for the sake of my family and friends, if they just if they just come to Jesus. Then he goes through the history of Israel, writing that, that God remained faithful, even when God's people turned away. He does his best to explain that, that God is God, and that means that sometimes we can't understand we can't really know what God is up to. And then in chapter eleven, as we looked at last week, he gives this this warning. He uses the imagery of dough and branches, of being grafted into the olive root. He says it's by God's grace alone that you've been grafted in. He's he's speaking to the Roman church. By God's grace alone you have been grafted in. And then he gives this warning, right? Don't don't be arrogant. Like you've somehow earned your way in. He gives this, this warning. And then at the very end of the section, he answers a question that he anticipated would be on the minds of his readers Well, what does that mean for what's next? What, what does that mean for what's coming for Israel, for, for the church? What does that mean? And his answer is, is almost essentially you'll find out. Picking up at Romans 11, verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gift and his call are irreconcilable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, after starting this week with Vacation Bible Camp, I ended it on Friday at the graveside service of someone who had been a member of this church for over 40 years. I knew this person had an impact on our church. I knew this person had a profound impact on the entire community of the Conejo Valley, but I didn't know this person's entire story. So one of our deacons left a document on my desk to kind of give me some more information about this person. And it was a document from the PEO group that meets here once a month. And I asked a member of PEO, can I share this or I'm going to get in trouble? And they said, yes, you can, you can share this. The document was titled Mystery Sister, and it told her story. The person was born in Kincaid, West Virginia, a town named after her great-great-grandfather. She was one of ten children and the oldest daughter. She enlisted in the Women's Army Air Corps in 1944 and served in New Guinea and Manila during World War II. In Manila, she met her husband, who was an officer. They moved to Westlake Village in 1967. Her husband served as mayor, and she was involved in all kinds of women's groups. At the bottom of the document, it read, Who is this mystery sister? Doris Ruffner. The flowers around the courtyard here, and I think there's some in the back as well, are, are from her service on Friday, and we'll be having another one here on August 23rd. But as I, I read Doris's story and talked to some of her friends on Friday, it helped me to see this 4th of July weekend in a, a different way. And I also couldn't help but picture her face right next to the faces of some of the kids from VBC. The 98-year-old mystery woman who had seen so much, who had experienced so much, right next to the 3-10-year-olds through asking, What's next? There are similarities between the way that, that we understand the word mystery today and the way that Paul and his contemporaries did, the way that Paul used it in, in Romans here, but there's there's some differences as well. Anyone familiar with the Hebrew text would, would hear or read the word that Paul uses and automatically think of stories like, like Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, what, what happens with Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar? This is an informal service, so you can shout it out. What happens? What, is, what does Daniel do for King Nebuchadnezzar? Oh, do we need to go do a series on Daniel next? He interprets dreams. Remember, he interprets the king's, he interprets the king's dreams. Daniel was given this ability to unlock the, the mystery of the king's dream. But it wasn't because he was smarter than anyone else. It wasn't because he studied in the right place or that he was born into the, the right family. When the king asks, how are you able to do this? His response is this. No wise man, no enchanter, no magician, no diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. The God in heaven who reveals mysteries. This is how it was for most of the prophetic texts texts in the Old Testament. It's divine revelation that reveals God's mystery, nothing else. Or when we hear the word mystery, we, we might think of Jesus and his parables. In fact, the only time that the word mystery is used in the Gospels is when Jesus sits down with the 12 disciples after after telling the, the parable of the sower and he, and he says to them, uh, or they ask him, hey, why, why are you using these stories? Why are you using these stories? And he says he says, the secret... Or the mystery, it's the same word, of the kingdom of God has been granted to you. Now, Paul, he actually uses the word mystery often in his writings, but only once in Romans, here. In both Hebrew and and Greek, it carries uh, the connotation of something being revealed by God to a person or to a group of people. It's not something that is somehow discovered on our own. It's a mystery that is revealed to God's People. And here, Paul is ultimately connecting that revelation to, to God's mercy. Earlier in the section, he writes that, that Israel's heart was hardened in the same way that Pharaoh's was, or at least a part of Israel's heart was hardened. When we unpacked the scripture a, a few weeks ago, um, I mentioned that it's a, a different word that's used for, for Pharaoh hardening his own heart and God allowing that hardening to happen. It, it's as if as if uh, Uh, Pharaoh or God granted him his wish he confirmed it here at the end of chapter 11 we see that the hardening isn't necessarily permanent either one of the reasons the Gentiles are, are grafted in to the root is so that salvation would be made available to to everyone to all people including the people of Israel for Paul the mystery would be unlocked for his family and friends when they, like everyone else, repented of the hardening of their hearts and when they lived as the covenant people that they were intended to be in the first place. Now, Paul doesn't necessarily get into all the details. He tells us the what Israel will be saved, not necessarily all of the details of the how. And I think that's one of the more important lessons that we can, we can glean from this part of Romans regarding the mystery of God's mercy the journey of God's people is rarely a straight line from A to B. It's usually a line that goes up and down where there's twists and turns where, where, where we just don't know what is coming. There's, there's failure, there's mistakes, there's misunderstandings, there's growth. We don't know how it looks. But in the middle of what often feels like a disjointed journey, we learn from this passage that God remains steadfast. Paul reminds us that God's gifts and God's call cannot be revoked. The image I often picture in my mind when, when, when I think of this truth is, is an image that, that many of us know. It's the dad in the parable, the, the story of the prodigal son, who who watches his son walk away, grieving, and then runs out to greet him upon his return. And we know from that story that, that the restoration wasn't just available to one son, but it was available to to both sons. And God's mercy wasn't just for one group of people. Paul reminds us that a part of the mystery is that it is available to everyone. Now, there's a bit of a a dichotomy here. Remember, when Paul uses that word mystery, it's that, that divine revelation, something that God alone reveals, not something that we discover. And here, Paul suggests that it's not only reviewed to a few people, but that it's available to everyone. I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates these verses. He writes There was a time not so long ago when you were on the outs with God, but then the Jews slammed the door on him and things opened up for you. Now they are on the outs. But with the door held wide open for you, they have made they have a way back in. In one way or another, God makes sure that we all experience what it means to be outside so that he can personally open the door and welcome us all back in. Think about that for a moment. We all experience what it means to be on the the outside in order that we might be welcomed back in. My guess is that each one of us here has been excluded at some point in our lives. Some of us more than others because of 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 where we live, the way that we look, what we believe, who we love, what team we cheer for. Thank you for welcoming in this Padre fan. And you're welcome for the crushing defeat that Padres have been given to the Dodgers as a plate. <laughs> so we're we've all experienced what it means to be on the outside. And here Paul saying, that's so you can know what it's like to be welcomed back in. Again, it's the image of the father running out to the prodigal son. Paul goes on and on for three chapters, back and forth about Gentiles and, and, and Jewish conversion, falling out of favor and then jumping back into favor, being warned to not let it happen again and again, and being invited to cling to the mystery of God's mercy. There is a ton to unpack in these three chapters of Romans, Romans nine through eleven, and I hope I didn't leave you uh, in the last few few weeks more confused than when we began this section but as he approaches the end and he turns to a more practical part of his letter which is where we're going to pick up in the fall it's almost as if paul runs out of words he's trying to unpack all these these hard things and it's almost as if he gets to this place where he just says i i don't know how else to describe it it's as if he feels that god's mercy is is so great and the mystery of god's kingdom is so profound that words alone are inadequate. So if you, you look in your, in your Bibles, in, in the, the editors who add in all the, the subtitles and here would say, or all the text, um, would say that it's a doxology or a hymn that he writes. He just gets to this place where he said, you know what, words alone are won't work. And he, he pulls from different uh, Psalms that he would have known, different Hebrew texts that he would have known, and he, he puts them together into this, this hymn of sorts. We're going to be spending the rest of this summer looking at, at Psalms. And one of the reasons we're going to do that is because poetry and music often helps us express what we can't express just in, in written word or spoken word. So he writes a, a nine line hymn with three claims three rhetorical questions, and three affirmations. And again, I'll I'll turn to Eugene Peterson's translation of this doxology. Have you ever come on anything quite like this? Have you ever come on anything quite like this, the mystery of God? Extravagant generosity of God, this deep, deep wisdom. It's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. Is there anyone around who can explain God? Anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Anyone who has done him such a huge favor that God has to ask his advice? Everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. Always glory. Always praise. Yes, yes, yes. Always glory. Always praise, even in the mystery of it all. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we, we thank you for your mercy. God, for the reminder that it's it's always available even when we can't make sense of it, even when things remain a mystery. God, we pray that you would be with us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.